chapter 8 is our text for today's uh, sermon, uh, and also you might want to keep uh, your uh, finger in the passage from Hebrews chapter 2 as well there in the worship folder. So the word of God from Psalm chapter 8, and we'll be reading the entire psalm. The Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. This is the word of God. We join me in prayer. Our Father, we have uh, come to that point in our service where the Word of God is not only read, but it is preached, expounded upon. Uh, our Father, we pray that you will invade this moment in, in this space uh, where we could uh, go away and it would be uh, without question an indelible mark is placed upon us, upon our hearts, where we have been with uh, the eternal God. Father, I pray that you will rest consequentially upon us, that we will know our moment to hear you, to respond to you. We thank you for the beginning of this Advent season. Uh, We give to you our longings. Uh, We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we are beginning this uh, Advent season, and uh, it's a delight to start it with you, and I hope that uh, you are doing well. But it is also a, a season where it's okay to not be doing that well. It's a, it's a season where you can take your longings, uh, those things that are disconnects in your life, and you can find God who comes for you. Um, we are starting a series, and really the title of the series is called Living with Questions. And so each Sunday, we're going to explore a question from the Bible. And so the key question this morning is from Psalm 8, verse 4. uh, What is man that you are mindful of him? And so that's our key question this morning. And um, uh, before we start off with the the discussion of questions, I'd like to uh, start off with the idea of answers. Um, You've heard the phrase, that's a pat answer. That's a pat answer. Um, let me ask you to more, enter into the dialogue here. Uh, when we use that phrase, you're, you're free to speak out loud now. Uh, when we use that phrase, that's a pat answer, what, what do we mean? What, what do we usually mean when we say that's a, that's a pat answer? Someone give me just a, get us started here. What's a pat answer? Off, Not, off what, the shelf, didn't require a lot of thought. Off the shelf, didn't require a lot of thought. Okay. Default. Yeah, okay, good. Anything else? It's a funny way we use the, the phrase, isn't it? pat. Well, what does that mean? It actually does come from the idea of, of a light 
pat on the back of someone's shoulder. Not a bear hug. It's just a nice little pat. It's not that consequential. A pat answer tends to be glib or unconvincing. And you know what's interesting about the, about the church is that we tend to be uh, okay with pat answers. Um, the, the culture, our society has complex an, uh, questions, and we come along as Christians and we tend to give pat answers. Someone is suffering, someone is going through a hard time in the church, and we throw out maybe Romans 8.28, all things work together for the good. So it's sort of a quick fix. Um, we have glib and, uh, and not well thought out answers to, to troubles and questions. Um, in fact, if you get too much of that pat answer world, uh, if, in fact, if, if your experience in church is too much of a pat answer, uh, you will not only check out, but you will find your answers somewhere else. Uh, it, it could be some uh, you know, television, Oprah, Oprah-type stuff, the self-help shelf. You, you will look for, if, if the answer is not substantial enough, you will check out uh, of church uh, church life, even though you may be attending uh, regularly. And then what happens if we don't formulate good questions? Think about how important a good question is. Uh, we may be well entertained, we may be busy, uh, but do we formulate uh, good questions? And good questions come from a heart that is is troubled, is, is wanting uh, meaning, deep meaning, good questions um, come to us because we're wrestling with something well. And if we don't have any good questions, that it tells us something about our hearts. We are deeply, uh, well, we're, we're, we're satisfied, we're sort of disengaged. Um, we're somewhat just enslaved in the present moment. I don't know, I've got some food, I've got some sleep, I've got shelter, I've got a job. I don't have any pressing questions. It's interesting that around us is a whole culture, a whole society and where we live is, um, it's hard to go downtown, say Kailua, and walk into a store that says, uh, the store of great questions. Uh, we don't do that. We don't, uh, we don't dwell in reflective thought well uh, as a people. Uh, we have all the questions in life are somewhat answered for us in, in much of the media, uh, film, television. It's sort of, it seems to be coming at us with a certain way of living. Uh, I brought with me uh, today a, a flyer from Costco. Uh, I'm trying to go through a day in my life without hearing the, the name Costco. Just try it. Just try it. It's almost impossible. But this is a little flyer. It tells me about all the savings I can get from Costco. And uh, kind of an exciting place to be this time of year. Uh, wear your helmet. Uh, but um, in this picture, it tells me a great deal about this, this store, which is in the business of selling things. So I don't want to be too hard on Costco. But there's a couple here with their kid, and they are in utter amazement at the things that Costco is offering. And there's a huge cart. It's an extended, giant jumbo cart. Actually, I've seen some of these carts at Costco. And and it goes across a listing of all the things that are answering the questions on people's hearts. So would you like a nice uh, frozen pizza? We've got uh, Giordano here. Uh, Oh, DiGiorno, I'm sorry. 
And then we have some shampoo. We have omega-3 uh, fatty acids, if you want to be healthy for a moment. Then we have all kinds of entertainment, and we have a T-Rex dinosaur in 3D. And then we have some luggage. We have some soap, detergent. We have some uh, uh, Giardelli uh, chocolate squares. And then above that is the green tea fat burner uh, stuff. I think that's interesting. Then they have a, a, a camera. You've got to take a picture uh, of all the holidays. And then all the other things, you have some, some uh, Quaker uh, oatmeal and a watch and then a, uh, a, 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 one of those GSP things for your car. So here it is, and, and th- these are the things that are being held forth uh, in, in a particular store. Now, again, I, uh, I'm not going to go on uh, some rant against uh, sort of what the, what, what the season is all about. I don't think we need to do that. From, from the store's perspective, this is a big time, right? They, this is a big moment where they make a lot of sales. But here... Here, in this little flyer, we are told much about what we are to aspire to in life. The questions are answered for us. And the questions are not that significant. They're rather trivial. What's unique about evangelicals is that we actually participate in that sort of trivial kind of life. We actually don't uh, do well with a reflective life. Um, it's not unusual for someone to perhaps hear some theological discussion or even like Hebrews chapter 2 and how detailed it is about Christ as our high priest and all this theology. It's not unusual for someone to say, um, do I need this to get into heaven? Uh, is this going to be on the quiz? In other words, what we really want is we want something to take with us in a, in a small little lunch pail. And we just travel with it. It's small. It's compact. It's sort of like that chicken soup for the soul type of stuff, right? And we want that nice little compact little idea, a little thought to carry with us. But the Bible is very different. The Bible is asking big, big questions about us. And it's presenting great, great answers about God and his plan. The Bible enters up. We are brought into an extraordinary, grand narrative in the Bible. Uh, it is not something that can fit on a, on a shopping cart, and then you just go your merry way. The Bible is coming to us with an extraordinary uh, statement about our lives, about our purpose, about God, about the earth, about the future, about the heavens. It's extraordinary. And, and the, if we would become a church of good questions, where we receive good questions from our coworkers and friends, where we know that they've been wrestling with something complex and difficult, and, and that we honor them by not giving them a pat answer. And we become a people who are reflective like the wise people of the Bible. What a great calling. In fact, questions can shape well, uh, well thought of questions can shape whole cultures and whole communities of faith. For instance, one really good question of a catechism like 450 years ago goes like this. Uh, what is the chief end of man? What a great question. What is the chief end of man? Man has a goal, a purpose, and the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
You see, great questions are vitally important to stir us, to make us think about our priorities, where we're going, and the things that we struggle with. And so I hope you will, in this series, not have glib and unconvincing pat answers. Here we go. This is an extraordinary text, Psalm 8. Uh, By the way, any text in the Bible can be an Advent text because every text in the Bible in some way or another is pointing to to the coming of Christ. In some way or another, Christ is there in the text. And so we are going to look at Psalm 8 And we're going to explore uh, the heart's thoughts. We're we're catching David thinking out loud. His heart is telling us what he's thinking about. And we're going to look at the heart's thoughts and our view of God. And then secondly, the heart's thoughts and our view of man. And then the heart's thoughts uh, and human flourishing. Your heart right now is thinking. In the Bible, the heart and the mind are really, really close put together uh, and they, your heart is that place where you're making decisions, you're choosing a direction, you're engaging in what you think you should pursue. The heart is very active. Your heart is active right now. It's firing on all cylinders, wondering, is this worthwhile? What, what should I think about? What should I daydream about? Your heart is longing to find deep satisfaction and it is searching and is longing and, and it's, it's moving, it's constantly alive. Well, David, we catch David and his heart thoughts. Listen to what he says in Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. What's David saying here? He's been dwelling upon the glory of the heavens. He's been looking out upon the night sky, uh, night after night after night. Some of you have been to the big island, and you've seen the stars go right down to the horizon. And uh, if you just keep staring out there, you'll realize, "I, I feel like I'm in outer space here. And you'll see stars you've never seen before, galaxies you've never seen before with your naked eye. And it is overwhelming, and this, it's extraordinary, and it fills your soul, and you're taken away, and you're, you, it, it's, you're brought up into the heavens, and you see this glory. And then you realize this is going on right now, even though the sun is blocking our view of these stars. And at night, God is not done showing his display of glory, though he's done it all day long. And then the night has its own way of, of talking to us. And David is caught up in this. When I look upon your heavens, when I see the heavens, I see that you've set your glory there. The heavens are responding as inanimate objects, but they're, it's, as, it's as if they're speaking and they're, they're singing. They're, they're praising God. Extraordinary. We caught David highly sensitized to the power of what's called general revelation. God speaks powerfully through his general revelation. That means everything apart from the Bible, all the created world, David's saying, I see your glory in it. We have been made to have our hearts thinking with this kind of view of God. You have been made, in the words of Ted Tripp, you have been wired to be dazzled by God. Your children are wired to be dazzled, by the way. Give them little gadgets. Dazzle away. They've been made to be dazzled. 
You've been made to be dazzled by the glory of God. And here we have David. He is, he is just on, on hyperdrive where he's seeing the beauty of, of all that God has made. There's a book on uh, virtues by a, an author named Gregory Spence, and he mentions a pastor in the small uh, Central American country of Belize. And uh, he says that uh, this pastor didn't watch the news, and he says this, The stories move so quickly, speaking of the news, the stories move so quickly that I don't have time to grieve. What is he, what's he saying? He's saying that I can only process so much imagery. And what's happening to us is that we are exposing ourselves to, to so much media, so much screen time, that what's actually happening is, while you might think you're macho, if you're a guy, you might think you can handle it, you can take it. What actually happens is there's a process whereby you are desensitized. So you see something glorious in nature, and it's not really that significant. You've become desensitized to it. I saw, one time saw a cartoon, I think it was out of a New Yorker magazine, and it was a, it was a couple uh, walking in and noticing how cute their daughter was, and the, and the mother said, oh, that's nothing, you should see her picture. We're caught up in the image. Oh, oh, the real thing can actually be improved. You see? Have we been desensitized? Well, we catch David glorying in the planets and the galaxies. And Psalm 8 is now going to move to another question from David's heart, to another uh, thought from David's heart. And look at verse 3. David now is going to put a few things together. When I look at your heavens, he's going to come to a conclusion now. The work of your fingers, I love that. Not a great effort on God's part, just fingers. I think God is finger painting when he makes a galaxy. The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. And here's the punchline. When I think of these amazing beings, these, these amazing planets and stars. When I think of them, I think of man. Look at verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. That's, that's the Psalms in what's called parallelism. That is that the first line is being repeated in another way, but connecting to the second line. So the son of man is another description of, of, of a human being. David's saying out loud, he's saying, when I see the work of your fingers in all that has been made, this makes me think long and hard about the rebel, about the one who's out of sync, about the one who does not return glory to you, about the one who is dis dis dishonoring you, about the one who is going his own way and more than content, and more than, more, not, not discontent, but happy to go, does not want you. When I, think of, when I think of these stars and how they are cooperating and they, they're desirous of, of giving you glory and how all of creation responds to you accordingly, there's someone who is out of sync with the way things ought to be, and it's man. And then this rhetorical question that has been resounding for, for thousands of years. What is man? What is man? Why do you commit your, your energy toward him? Why do you, why do you think of him? He pays, he pays 
little or no regard for you. And at this, at this key point, we are utterly dependent upon revelation, and, but it's a particular kind of revelation to give us an answer. It will not come from the beauty of uh, the Ko'olau Mountains. It will not come from seeing a whale, a breach off of Maui, as extraordinary as it is. It will not come from seeing uh, uh, the galaxies uh, up in the stars, uh, up in the sky at night. The, the revelation that's needed for this answer to David's question in verse 4, the revelation is special revelation. Nature will speak nothing of our role. Nature will be cold toward us. Nature will be distant toward us. You can sit under a tree for a thousand years and you'll never, ever understand your role unless God reveals that role to you by the scriptures. Now, the rest of the psalm is an, is an elaboration of Genesis 1, 26, where man is given dominion over creation. This is needed so we would understand our role in the universe, and David now moves to expounding that original purpose of man. And let's just read this. Listen to this. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. This is Genesis 1, 26. And you have put all things under his feet. And then the description of a sampling of the animals that man would rule over. Pause. For us to get it right, to answer verse 4, we've got to have special revelation to tell us our role. And implied in this question is, even understanding our role, we now know that we have departed from that role. We have allowed ourselves to become subject to creation. We have now willingly turned away from our role as being the, the image bearers, and we have now subjugated ourselves to idolatrous pursuits, and in the process, we have become dehumanized. We have subjected ourselves to something in creation, and we have bowed to it. But interesting, David doesn't mention that at all. In verses 5 through 9, doesn't mention that at all. David is reflecting on the ideal man. David is reflecting on man untainted by sin. David is reflecting on how things ought to be, why there should be someone ruling on God's behalf upon this earth. The stars above are expressing God's glory, and man, by his obedience, is expressing God's glory by, by exercising dominion. But there's something that's unspoken here, isn't there? And that is, man has radically departed from this role. Now, this text would work in the middle of July. So, why does it work here at the beginning of Advent? How does this connect with Advent? Well, while we are relatively comfortable with our condition in life, I would say that we pretty much try to make ourselves comfortable and pursue some things that are pleasurable, and we sort of make our way in life and try to, uh, uh, you know, 
get along. The Bible describes man departing from his original role as a radical departure, as a, as a misery, as experiencing death. We are surrounded with disorder. We are surrounded with brokenness. We may be quite used to it, uh, and maybe just a, a little festivity during the holidays and a little, little cheeriness uh, coming our way, and we might just keep going and sort of press on because we're just, we're just rugged and we're, we just have strong wills. But you know, if you pause and you'd say, there is so much out of order, so much is broken. And what's unique about this is that in the Bible, we have a perfect interpretation of Psalm 8. The writer of Hebrews, and we're not 100% sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we know that it was inspired by God. And we know that the book of Hebrews speaks about Psalm 8, verses 4 and following. And so if you'll turn and you'll look there in your, in, in your, in your worship folder, you'll find that text that Chris wrote, read for us earlier. And look at verse 6. And there is a quote from Psalm 8, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? For you made him a little lower uh, than the angels, and you crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now something is going to change in the end as you continue on in verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, we're going to learn about who the him is, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels. That's Advent, Christ coming in body, namely Jesus. And now his glorified state, crowned with glory and honor because of suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Here is what we need. We are a broken humanity We are the heirs of Adam's rebellion. We need a whole new representative of humanity. We need someone to come and someone to represent us and to start anew. Someone to come and take away the curse that was brought about by Adam's sin and to, to, to quench death's power and thus that man would be restored to this life of full flourishing. We need this. This is the cry of the heart. And we now find out that the one who is being talked about from Genesis 1.26 of having dominion, the one who's repeated in Psalm 8 of having dominion and ruling everything under his feet, that one man is, has always been intended to be the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who would become embodied, 100% man, 100% divine, and he would be the God-man who is resurrected after he suffered, and he would now reign and rule. And the writer of Hebrews says, we don't see him ruling over everything, but we do see him suffering. We do see him coming for us. We do see him offering to us hope, for a day when every tear will be wiped from our faces, 
we see that we have been represented by the second Adam, the one who will make all things new. And that's why Mary sang. That's why all those who received the news were astounded and astonished that it actually had come about, and they knew the hope that was being promised. And this is our hope, that our deep, deep questions will be answered. The things that we long for, the things that we are crying out for resolution, will actually find ultimate restoration. You see, what Christianity is, Christianity is making people human again. It's restoring our original role, whereby we are no longer enslaved to some aspect of creation, but we are now freed through Jesus to rule with him over the new earth and the new heavens. You see, this is momentous. Uh, this, is, this is extraordinary. and it is, It's about Christ coming in human flesh, but that inaugurates ultimately his kingdom, which is even now taking place. And so we have much to give thanks for. We have much to anticipate uh, from our God, and we have much to... To, to, to wrestle with and to, and to do the hard work of thinking about what are the good answers my coworkers need about the suffering they're experiencing? What are the good answers my neighbors need during this time of Advent where they have no hope? And, uh, and may we be the people who would, who would articulate uh, that kind of, of hope for them. All of this helps us avoid glib, and Pat answers. Psalm 8. What is man? Why are you mindful of him? Why is the eternal God, who is happy in, in himself, who has no, need, no needs, as we would think of as needs as human beings, why has he so aligned himself with humanity? What is man that you are mindful of him? Do you know the answer to that question requires all of eternity? And it's vitally important that we enter into this season astonished, where we are we're looking around and we realize that we are in on something extraordinary. We know the purposes of man, why Christ came. We know that man is being redeemed that there's a new Adam who has the process of putting everything under his feet is underway. We are a people who should be filled with hope and never finished pondering these things. Man is worth starting anew. And God wants to be right in the middle of that new humanity. May this be fuel for your worship this Advent. And may we be a people who are available to be on this mission with God to answer the questions that people have. And may we point them to this new reigning Christ who comes to us through the word of God, revealed to us as a savior for our sorrows, for our questions. Let's pray. And now we see him for a little while, 
who was made lower than the angels. We ask that you'd help us see him. Lord, we want to see him in our, in our church. We want to see him in, in the preached word. We want to see him on a cross as we apply the word of God to our hearts and we enter into his, his willingness to suffer. May we serve others. Father, we ask that you would help us embody the gospel. Father, thank you for the church that is holding forth this hope before a world that only knows to fill shopping carts. Father, we thank you. Grant to us the worship of the Christ who came for us. Amen.